Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Courtney Browns. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, we've reached our fourth and final episode on fall pests. And I think we left the most despised pest for our last show. This week we're talking about an animal that makes elephants scared, makes women grab their brooms, and is kind of synonymous with cheese. You guessed it, it's the mouse. So here in Pennsylvania, we actually have five different types of mice. Uh, four being native to North America. The most common being the non-native house mouse. Uh, also the deer mouse, the white-footed mouse. There's also two other mice that tend to be out in the woods more so than around your house. And that's the woodland jumping mouse and the meadow jumping mouse. Uh, they don't seem interested in coming around houses, like I said. Um, but they might show up for a piece of cheese. All right, so the first one we want to talk about is the house mouse. And the house mouse is an old world species that was inadvertently brought to North America by European settlers. And it's actually found statewide in Pennsylvania. And as its name implies, it lives in and near houses and on farms. So this mouse, um, it's usually various shades of gray. It grows six to eight inches long and it has a three inch scaly near hairless tail. They eat everything from grains and seeds um, to paper, glue, and even household soap. And they're a really agile mouse and very quick. And studies have shown that this mouse can run up to eight miles per hour. The adult female produces five to eight litters annually, and each litter has an average of five to seven young. All right, the next one we want to talk about is the deer mouse. Uh, this mouse actually has a huge range. Uh, tends to be in the Northeast, the Midwest, and even the West, all the way from Alaska to Mexico, and certainly be found right here in this state as well. Um, so the first month of its life, the deer mouse is actually colored gray, but it molts into a brownish gray adult pelt. Uh, the juveniles and the adults have an undersurface that are white. Um, it tends to be about six, six and a half to maybe eight inches long. That includes the tail. It can weigh all the way up to an ounce. Uh, one of the most notable features of the deer mouse is its large dark eyes. And they're actually so large because they're adapted to night vision. Uh, deer mice inhabit nearly every type of land habitat in Pennsylvania, and that includes farm fields, fence rows, grassy berms of roads, brushland, uh, deep woods. Now, as far as reproduction, uh, deer mice breed from March to October, and that means that they're actually reproducing inside your house. That's why you want to get them out. Um, so females raise three to four litters per year. Uh, each with three to seven young, and in one year a single female can produce nearly 30 young. Uh, just another reason why you want to keep them out of your house. They're just prolific. So some of those don't survive, uh, but the young mice, called pups, actually utter a high-pitched squeaking sound. Um, they also note that males do not help females raise the litters. Uh, as far as predation, deer mice are preyed on by foxes, cats, short-tailed shrews, minks, weasels, several different types of birds, even snakes. One other interesting note is ranges for the deer mouse. Um, actually vary from 
a little under an acre to over 2.5 acres, which is quite a bit of property. Yeah, like other small mammals, deer mice are very abundant in some years and rather. So the next one we want to talk about is the white-footed mouse. These are found statewide and they're probably the most abundant rodent in Pennsylvania. They actually look a lot like the deer mouse, except they have a shorter tail in relation to their body. And its coats are reddish brown color, it has white on the belly and feet. They range in length from six to seven and a half inches, and they have a tail that's usually two and a half to three and a half inches. White-footed mice live in shrubby areas, um, woods, they like cultivated fields, pastures, uh, rhododendron thickets, fence rows, um, strip mines, and of course, farm buildings and houses. And some scientists actually believe that the white-footed mouse prefers a slightly drier habitat than the deer mouse. So these mice nest in stone walls and rock crevices, um, under old boards and woodchuck burrows, and the abandoned nests of squirrels and birds. And like deer mice, the white-footed mice don't dig burrows, but they actually use the runways of other small mammals. And they're actually very agile and can climb trees, which is pretty crazy. And the white-footed mouse breeds from March through October. They have three to four annual litters, um, and each litter has three to seven mice apiece. And one final note, the females can mate when they're as young as two months old. So these mice breed really quick. Another reason that you don't want them in your house. So now we want to talk about some problems associated with rodents. Of course, just having them in your house is unwelcoming, but they do also carry some diseases as well, um, or they're a vector for some diseases. So the hantavirus. Um, so according to the CDC, in the United States, Deer mice and the white-footed mouse, they're both reservoirs for the hantavirus. Uh, these rodents actually shed the virus in their urine, their droppings, and saliva. Uh, the virus, it's mainly transmitted to people when they breathe in air contaminated with the virus. So when fresh rodent urine or droppings or nesting material are stirred up, which is easy to do, you know, you're sweeping your house or cleaning on top of cupboards, uh, those tiny droplets containing the virus get into the air and you breathe it in. Uh, so hantavirus can cause a cough that produces secretions, shortness of breath, fluid accumulation within the lungs, low blood pressure, reduced heart efficiency, and unfortunately even death. Uh, so you really want to be careful. Keep them out of your house as much as you can, um, but definitely something not to mess with. And the other disease they can carry is something that I think we're all pretty familiar with. It's Lyme disease. So white-footed mice are the principal natural reservoirs for Lyme disease bacteria. And ticks that feed on mice are highly likely to become infected, making them capable of transmitting Lyme disease to people during their next meal. And many know about the ramifications of the disease. But most don't know that the white-footed mouse and the deer mouse actually assist in completing the deer tick's life cycle. Now we want to turn towards preventing mice from entering your home. Um, kind of like uh, all the other pests, we just want to make some recommendations. First of all, like the insects that we covered, fill in those cracks, the gaps, the voids in your house that you find. Um, do an outside inspection early fall, maybe even late summer. Um, they're, they're trying to get in right now, I can tell you for sure. I've heard a couple on my walls. Um, I think you have as well. We yeah, talked about it. And uh, 
So just do a home inspection around the outside of your house. It may mean that you put on a pair of gloves and you go right along the bottom of your siding uh, where it meets up with your foundation just to make sure there's nothing there. Um, you know, your attic, that type of thing. Typical mouse can actually squeeze through a void as small as a dime. Uh, that's crazy to me. Uh, once a couple mice have established themselves in your house, nest building and reproduction become a priority. Um, mice actually prefer to gather their nesting materials close to their nest, usually within 30 feet. That's why you want to keep clutter, such as newspapers, shipping boxes, packing material, all that stuff uh, needs to be kept at a minimum. Uh, mice can usually be caught in traps to remove them from the home. The CDC does not recommend using glue traps or live traps. Um, you see some of those traps maybe on Facebook or social media, the ones that uh, they capture them by drowning the mouse. I'm not a big fan of those either. Um, just your old-fashioned trap that ends their life quickly uh, might be the best, uh, at least in my opinion. I don't know if you have a take on that. Yeah, I think that's the most humane way to do it. And the CDC recommends not using the glue traps or live traps because when the mice are scared, they'll actually urinate and that's just more cause for possible disease. Also, a side note, I'm not really a big fan of poisons either. Um, maybe they're effective, um, but to me, you know, a lot of times a mouse, once it ingests the poison, it's actually looking for a water source afterwards. Uh, because the poison usually tries to dry up the blood. Um, so the first thing they're going to do is look for a water source, which tends to dry them outside. Uh, and that means that some other predator can come along, ingest that mouse, uh, who's already filled with the poison, and they can kind of go through, you know, a cycle with several animals consuming that poison. Um, so I tend not to use it. And if I do, you know, I try to... Um, keep it in a point where I know the mouse isn't going to be able to make it outside. Um, you know, the other point to make with that is if the mouse is inside and dies, you know what happens. It's going to smell. So just not a big fan of poison altogether. But, um, you know, if you are going to use it, use it wisely. It's also really important when you are working with your mouse traps that you always wear gloves. And not only because these pests can carry disease, but also because they can detect human scent pretty well, and it might actually deter them from the traps if they smell you. And the best bait for these mouse traps is calorie-dense foods, so peanut butter, hazelnut spread, chocolate. Um, and in the winter months, you can actually bait traps with nesting material, such as cotton balls, yarn, or twine. Never tried that before, but I feel like using food works better. Yeah, I never, I never even heard of that, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, and they say set the traps close to walls, and if possible, in your concealed areas, such as the back corners of cabinets or pantries, or under appliances, or anywhere else that you might frequently see mice. They also make indoor plug-in ultrasonic repellents for mice, and these devices don't kill the mice, but they send out an ultrasonic wave that is supposed to repel the mice, so it's a safe and easy alternative to kill traps, pesticides, and chemicals. You ever use those? I haven't personally. I remember in our camp, like growing up, we had some. I was young enough. I'm not really sure if they worked. Yeah, I remember seeing them in the mail order catalogs, those type of things, and wondered if they worked. Um, 
hey, maybe you can give us some feedback. Uh, those who are listening, let us know if they work for you. Um, definitely a possibility. Uh, you know, they've been sold for quite a long time. You would think that if they didn't work, they'd be pulled off the shelf. So, all right. Well, hopefully you learned a couple things about keeping mice out of your house. And maybe a couple things about the mice that live here in Pennsylvania. Um, we do have a, at least one event that we'd like to mention today. Uh, Salt Spring State Park next Saturday, November 6th from 9 to 11.30. Join Jim Kessler as he discusses how deer affect Pennsylvania forests and the Cornell Abbott Project at Salt Spring State Park. Jim will be discussing clues you can use to determine the degree to which deer are affecting a particular forest and also how Abbott, a citizen science method to assess vegetation impact from deer, is being used right in Salt Springs. They also mentioned how you can use it in your own woods. And if you'd like to participate, meet the Friends parking lot on Buckley Road. Uh, the fee for this is a free will donation. So we want to do something a little different. In December, we'd like to hold an Ask the Conservation District show. So from now until the end of November, we'll be soliciting questions on any conservation topics that you'd be interested in um, here at the district. And then tune in in December where we'll answer all of the questions we get. Yeah, so uh, send them to our email. You can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org. There's an email there you can find. It's soil at suscondistrict.org. Uh, or you can reach out to us by phone at 570-782-2105. And if you have a conservation-related question outdoors, something about wildlife, something about plants, uh, water, anything in between. We'd love to address those questions on one dedicated show. I guess that does it for today's show. So you've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Courtney Bronze. And I'm Don Hibbert saying, enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>